Is God good this morning? Come on, give him some love. I'm glad 10 of you think God's good. Holy smokes, I got a lot ahead of me this morning. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. Come on. And give me some, some participation as I fall over on stage here. Uh, I tell you what, God is good. And, uh, you know, we, we witnessed uh, just a fresh move of the Holy Spirit last Sunday. And I don't know what happened over here on this side of the room, but this side of the room is packed. Somebody needs to put on some deodorant over here, obviously. I don't know what the heck's going on. That was just a distraction of, of how good God is. See how Satan works sometimes? Like, he just gets our attention. Anyway, um, God was so good last week. We experienced a fresh move of the Holy Spirit that I don't know. I, I told some friends this last week that I, I seriously don't know in the six years, almost six years, in March we'll celebrate our sixth anniversary as a church. And in the six years that, that we've been here, I don't know that we felt the Holy Spirit move like that or we saw the Holy Spirit move like that. It's one thing to feel the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to see the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. That will preach. Last Sunday, we had 13 people give their, like, follow the Lord and believers' baptism, being immersed in their identity of Christ. 13. But I was telling our team this morning, so we don't, we don't celebrate metrics. Metrics are great. They tell us how we're doing. We don't celebrate the metrics, but we, they give us a, an idea of, of how God is, is moving, and we, we see the fresh move of God. And when you, when you zoom out, like when, so right on the surface, 13 baptism, that sounds incredible. We see God move in that. But when you zoom out, you see that in June, we had our first baptisms in this church, in this, in this church building, sorry. June, and then and we did it again in July, and then we did it again in September. We didn't do it in August. So in just four months, as a church, we've seen 46 baptisms. Now, I've worked in churches <laughs> that didn't see 46 baptisms in 10 years. And we've seen it in four months. And if I'm honest, it terrifies me. Because what happens is we put pressure on ourselves and not on the Holy Spirit. As a, as a pastor that's leading this movement of God, I constantly have to tell myself, Adam, you better get yourself out of the way. Yeah. If you want God to do it, he, only he can. Move, get out of the way. There was a philosopher that said that, only he used a different word. <laughs> Some of you guys are sinners and you need to <laughs> repent right now. For those of you that aren't 90s hip-hop fans, you guys are just like, what? What's he talking about? I just have to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to, to move. 
I think it's funny how, how God works because last Sunday we had a guest speaker and he came and he spoke and he, he did a great job, but the Holy Spirit just took over. And it wasn't because of my friend Luke that came and preached. It was because God wanted to move. And he did. And we're just learning this whole thing. I'm just a Baptist boy trying to figure out how the Holy Spirit moves. Recovering Baptist boy. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and I just, I, I just sit back and watch sometimes. And I'm like, all right, God, I get it. We're just going to press into you. We're going to find our identity in Jesus. And we're going to follow after you. And so we're in a series uh, that we're calling White Flag, all about surrender and what that looks like. I don't find it a coincidence that we're teaching on surrender and that the Holy Spirit shows up when we get out of the way. That's what surrender looks like. And um, he's moving. God is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving. And uh, I, just, I just do my best to lead as he, as he takes me. And so... Um, <laughs> Our series is called White Flag. It's all about surrender based on 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can turn in your Bibles there if you want to. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. The, uh, how you get there is, is on the screen. I've got, um, I want to do a, a, a lot of review this morning because uh, technically this is week three of this series, but um, we began it uh, three weeks ago. Because we had Luke come and speak last week. Um, and so um, I know some of you uh, haven't been able to be here for the previous two Sundays. And so I just want to make sure that we do a, a thorough review of it. But before I get into it, we have, a, we have an exciting meeting after church today about Refuge Youth. Or Refuge High. We're calling it Refuge High. And we're so pumped for it. Um, I had said that we were going to do it at 1230 um, and that everyone in the first service would just have to come back. But um, I was thinking about it this morning, and I was like, let's just do it after, let's just do it twice. And so um, it's a quick meeting, uh, only going to take about 10 minutes. If you're planning, if you were planning on coming back at 1230, uh, we're going to go ahead and do that um, after service around 1030 this morning, right here in the auditorium. And just want to let you guys know that we'll do it in between both services, so you don't have to come back. That would be torture. Why? Like, you already got out of bed early to come to the 9 o'clock, so I'm going to reward you for that. And so um, hopefully uh, you guys will stick around for, for 1030. If you're interested in wanting to know what uh, Refuge High is all about. Uh, so in week one of this series, uh, White Flag, we talked about, about surrender, is the, the godly surrender that, he, that God wants is, is surrender without giving up. He doesn't want us to give up. He wants us to continue to go, to continue to seek after him. It's not waving the white flag, even though we're calling the series white flag. And um, we talked about the proof 
of surrender. The Apostle Paul calls that, uh, gives three different examples or three proofs of surrender that, that you can do this. He gave the example of, of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And so we talked about the soldier, athlete, and farmer week one. Week two, we talked about the problem with surrender, why people don't surrender. And the reason people don't surrender is because we have misplaced priorities. We don't prioritize properly, according to God's word. Today, I want to talk to you about the process of surrender, what surrender looks like for the believer. And then next week, we're going to talk about the progress. Everybody likes some progress. And speaking of progress, um, we just concluded 21 days of prayer um, yesterday. And um, again, not a coincidence. You see the Holy Spirit move when you do the things that God's word, word tells you to do. Praying is one of them. And so when we pray, God moves. And it was, you know, anyway, I don't have to get into that again. But it's been so good. If, if, if you missed it, do me a favor and find someone that was here. Uh, just real quick, I said I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going there anyway. In the second service, because you, you guys are first service people. In the second service, I've talked to some people that were in the first service, and they go, yeah, what happened in the second service? And, like, I got up in the second service, and I was like, okay, um, we're going to try to do this again. But, like, this is one of those weeks where I'm like, um, if I could just duplicate everything that happened in the first service, then I would duplicate it, and I would do it again. But the last service, the computer didn't work. Do you guys remember that? The computer stopped working, and, and we just kept singing, and God just kept moving, because we don't need a computer for God to move, darn it. Like, Come on, I'm ready to preach already. I'm getting warmed up, and you guys will get there eventually with me, but I feel like I'm dragging you along right now. Are you with me? And so, so I got up, and I'm like, we just wanted God to move, and we just, you know, the, the computer didn't work and all this stuff, and I'm, and I'm like talking about how I wanted to duplicate what happened. In the first service, we baptized six. <laughs> In the second service, we baptized seven. In the first service, two people came that had signed up already. In the second service, only one. <laughs> In the second service, my, we're like, in the first service, I'm done, like, we baptize the first two, we start singing the song. I put on my shirt, I'm ready to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to call it good. And then, the, and then someone comes in, comes from the second row, third row, just comes right in and just jumps in the tank. And then it just, a, a floodgates open and people just start jumping in the water to get baptized. And, and, and it, was, it was incredible. But in the second service, we get done, we're singing the song. And I'm standing here. I didn't plan on telling you this. My son comes down, he's 14, gave me a big hug, held onto my neck, and I knew, and I said to him, do you want, and he just, like, I, hear, I can feel his head, because my, my face is buried, 
feel his head go up and down. I said, go, go, get, go get ready. He runs back, gets dressed, comes in, and Luke and I baptize him while the worship team is still singing. And he gets up and we embrace. Someone told me this week that they were in the, in the, in the crowd and, and they knew something was happening because the whole worship team starts crying. I turn and I look at my wife playing the keyboard and tears just, and she doesn't cry. She's emotionally constipated. <laughs> but I have a, emotional diarrhea and I do it every week. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit moved. And so... Find someone that was here and just say, hey, what was that like? What's that like? And the fact of the matter is, is, you can go to a church down the road and the Holy Spirit moves just the same way. Because we serve a risen king who gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can experience his power every single day. Last week, I was with Graham in the car, and he said to me, he said, Dad, um, I just wish I could experience that again, because it felt so good. And I love how God works, because as a dad that is living in the identity that God has given me in Jesus, I get to tell him, son, you can experience that again, but you don't, you don't have to do it that way. You get to experience it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because that's what living in our identity is like. <laughs> Daily immersing ourselves in our identity of Jesus, a daily practice. And so as we talk about process this morning, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think the Apostle Paul explains surrender here in a way that, that we, if we just, got, just grip our hearts around it, it will transform our lives. And Paul starts out, by telling Timothy, his protege, he tells him, teach the people to endure suffering. What we miss is we focus on the suffering and we don't focus on exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. He's telling him, teach people to not give up. And that's what surrender is. Not giving up. Giving God our all. And so in week two, we talked about prioritizing properly and how we have to prioritize properly in our lives if we're going to surrender. One of my favorite quotes in this whole series has been Augustinus, Aurelius Augustinus. I hate Greek names. It says, pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. 
That's what surrender is. Praying as though everything depends on God and working as though everything depends on us. We have work to do. It requires work. It requires priority and it requires a process if we're going to get to progress, which I'm talking about last, next week. Last, uh, two, so two weeks ago, I, I talked about the patterns of God's word. The pattern that I've given over the last few uh, months has been, has been this pattern, the pattern of identity first. In identity, we have Christ. That's where our identity is at. And then we have instruction second. So identity, instruction, inheritance. Identity is Christ. Instruction is commands, the commands of Christ. Inheritance is found in the community of God. This morning, we're experiencing the inheritance with each other. And it is so sweet. You might be ugly, but you are sweet. I'm kidding. You're not ugly. Jeez. You guys are like, I thought you were preaching. (laughs) The community, the inheritance, that's sweet. But it's not the priority. The priority is the identity. And so... The second pattern that I gave you last week or two weeks ago was priority, process, and progress. Priority, we have ide- you have to prioritize your identity. Listen, the patterns of God's word are intertwined. They go together. Okay, so, so priority, identity, process, instruction, commands, progress, inheritance. Progress takes place in the inheritance. I'm not going to preach that. I'm going to preach it next week. So priority, process, and progress. They all go together, and it's all in God's word. You guys are like, Adam, like that sounds great, but it sounds like you made it up. I know. It's so good. It sounds like I made it up. I'm not that good. It's God's word. And I'm going to show you this morning exactly what it means to live in the process, the instruction for our scripture today, I want to start with 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Read it with me. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you. In who? In Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them to others. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word that we just read would be, would be exactly what we need to hear today. Father, that it would penetrate our hearts this morning as we learn to live in the identity that Jesus has given us. Father, I pray that your word would be louder than my word this morning. That you would use me to to preach it, to speak it in truth and in love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul here begins with what? Guess what it is. You can guess. Identity. All right, you'll get there. I get it. It's, It's a learning process. Teaching. 
He starts with identity in Jesus. The, the very beginning, Timothy, my dear son. But he doesn't stop there. He, he, he continues and he says, be strong, not in, not in me, not in your mentor. Be strong in the grace that God has given you through Jesus Christ. It's all pointing back to Jesus. It always points back to Jesus. He starts by giving him his identity. My dear son, but here's what I love about Paul's instruction to Timothy. Is he calls him his son first. But the only reason and the only way that he can call him his son, because Paul wasn't, wasn't Timothy's dad. Paul was Timothy's instructor, his, his mentor. But the only way that he could call him his son was because he had grounded him in his identity of who? Jesus Christ. And because he was a mentor to Timothy and he, he can say, my son... Timothy doesn't identify with him with being his son. He identifies with being strong in Jesus Christ. So I want you to catch this this morning. The people that you pour into, when you pour into them in the name of Jesus Christ, pouring out your identity into them, showing them the way, the ways of Jesus, then they begin as they identify with you, they identify with who? Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what the best thing about being a mentor. The best thing about discipling people is showing them the ways of Jesus, not the ways of me. The ways of Jesus. We have to point people to their identity in Christ. And so he begins with identity then he gives a whole lot of instruction. Here's what I want you to hear. Identity always comes before instruction. Always. Identity always takes place before instruction. It has to. It has to. Priority always precedes process. Priority has to come before the process. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Priority precedes process. Priority is identity in Jesus. As a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, our identity in Christ is the priority. But it has to come before the instruction. Identity always comes before the instruction. That's why people, people leave the church because they feel like it's all instruction. They haven't been given their identity first. When we, put, when we misplace instruction instead of identity, we leave. Guess what? Misplaced instruction is abuse. We have to get back to priority being 
our identity in Christ. This was foundational. As Paul is teaching Timothy to go and to teach the church about enduring suffering. Before he gets to process, he gets to priority. He starts with Jesus. Later on, he mentions the resurrection. The gospel prioritizes the resurrection. We have to prioritize the resurrection daily. The greatest danger, in my opinion, of the process is legalism. I'll say it again. The greatest danger of the process is legalism. Legalism will rob you of your identity in Jesus if you're not careful. Because what happens when we start to identify with legalism, we start to identify with the law, not the grace. So what is legalism? That's a pretty big word. What is legalism? Thomas Schreiner, who's a a New Testament professor uh, at a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he says this, legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalists believe that they can earn or merit God's approval by performing and requ- the requirements of the law. By performing the requirements of the law, I can get God's approval. Ladies and gentlemen, that is false. The only way that you can get God's approval is by faith in Jesus Christ, by his grace through Jesus. The problem with legalism is that legalism, uh, with legalism, the law becomes a priority, not the process. The, the law is the priority. When the law, if the law is the priority, then the law is the identity. Some of you need to hear this morning that your identity is not based on the rules you follow. Your identity isn't based on how good you perform. Your identity is not based on the way that you obey. It's not based on your behavior. It's based on who God says you are. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we, as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help to what? Conquering the person's evil, not just there. It doesn't just stop there. It person's evil desires. 
Following the law doesn't get rid of your desire to do anything that displeases God. Following the the law doesn't get rid of your desire to take a drink of alcohol when you've already had six. Obeying the law doesn't get rid of the desire to look at pornography. Obeying the law doesn't get rid of the desire to treat your wife like garbage. It doesn't do it. I can go on. Following the law and following the rules doesn't help you conquer evil desires. But your identity in Jesus does. Your identity in Jesus will help you conquer your evil desires. But if we're going to do that, we have to have a process. There has to be a process in place so that we can overcome those evil desires. There still has to be a process. We can't just say, all right, Jesus, I receive my identity in you. There has to be a process. Thank goodness the Apostle Paul gives us one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 and eight through 18. It says this. Work hard. <laughs> hold, hold on, Adam. You sound confused. Probably because I am. I'm not. God's word is clear. Work hard. Process does require work. Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to godless behavior. When we misuse the word of God, it leads to foolish behavior. It leads to godless behavior. Verse 11, this kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. I love that the Apostle Paul calls these guys out in the Bible. Like, you know you messed up when you get called out in the Bible. They have turned some people away from the faith. Why? How did they turn people away from the faith? Because they misused the God, God's word. And it leads me to today's big idea. You didn't think I was going to get there, did you? Today's big idea is this. God's word plus handling God's word correctly equals the process. God's word plus the handling of God's word correctly equals the process. Now, many scholars believe that Hymenaeus and Philetus um, were teaching that the resurrection of Christ had, or that the resurrection had already taken place and that it wasn't literal. It wasn't a literal resurrection. It was just a symbolic resurrection. And, and it led to people following that, that path thinking that, that it was, you know, that it had already taken place. Well, like, not literally, but, but symbolically. And, 
here's, here's the point. We must know God's word and we must know what it means. We have to know God's word and we have to know what it means in today's culture especially. If we're not careful in today's culture, we'll believe anything the world teaches us and says that it's God's word. Let me, let me show, you, show you a quick example. And I don't, I don't want to point, like, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out. Um, I'm not even going to give, I'm not even going to go political, I promise. This, this isn't to make you feel bad if you've said this before. It's just that we've mishandled God's word so easily, so much, that it happens just like this. How many of you have ever heard the saying, or maybe you've even said it, and please don't raise your hand. <laughs> but how many of you have, have ever thought or said that God will not give me anything that I cannot handle? God will not give me anything that I can't handle. It's one of the biggest lies from Satan. Because Satan knows that if he can get you alone, if he can get you isolated, then he can defeat you. God does allow things in our lives that we cannot handle. And believe it or not, that's good news. Why do we think this? Why do we believe this? The reason why is good news that God does allow things that we can't handle in our lives is because it shows us and it points us, it pushes us to our identity in him. And the only way that we can face some of the trials that some of you are facing right now is if your identity is firmed in Jesus. It's the only way. The Apostle Paul said, your grace is enough for me. So why do we say this? Why do we say that God won't give me anything that I can't handle? It's because of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I want to read it to you. It says the temptation in your life. The what? The temptation in your life. Are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the what? The temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Listen, temptation is way different than cancer. Temptation is way different than grief. Temptation is way different than divorce. Temptation is way different than tragedy. You can just put whatever it is that you're going through in that, in that sentence. Temptation is different because temptation is overcoming sin in our lives. And God does 
give us things in our lives that we have to endure. Paul said, teach the people to endure suffering. And so here's what I want to do this week. Because we have to find a way to handle God's word correctly. And the only way that I know how to do that is to hide it in my heart so that I don't sin against God. And so this week, I'm issuing a challenge. I'm taking it with you. And the challenge is to memorize a passage a day. One verse. Memorize a verse a day. Today, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. In fact, the whole list is on the screen. I'm going to ask the person running the computer to hold it up there so you can pull out your phone and take a snap of it right there. Write it down, if you will. I love all the, all the phones getting out right now. We're also going to share this on our social media. Um, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, is, they're all listed in the YouVersion Bible app. Just take a screenshot so you don't have to hold up your phone. Um, if you're following along with today's notes, you would, you would have seen those there. But list so you can hide God's word in your heart so that we can hide God's word in our heart. One of the easiest ways that um, a pastor friend of mine taught me all the way back in college was he said, I get index cards and I write them, write them out and I just keep them in my pocket. I just pull it out during the day and I just read it over and over and over again. And it helps me memorize scripture because we have to handle God's word. And I want you to know that there is a process but it has everything to do with God's word and not the preacher's word. Not the preacher's word. It doesn't matter how many preachers you listen to. They're all sinful. I said what I said. It means that we have to handle God's word correctly. Meaning, we have to hide it in our heart. We have to know it. And it all always goes back to identity, identity in Jesus. And that leads me to this, this question. Remember the greatest danger of the process? It's legalism. Pastor Adam, but, but, but you're teaching us to, that we have, to, we have to memorize scripture. Isn't that legalistic? It can be if you're memorizing the scripture because I told you to. But if you're memorizing the scripture because you want to know your creator more, because you want to know your identity more, it has nothing to do with me. I'm just the one that, that God put the microphone in his hand. And so you have to do it because you want your identity to be immersed in you. So how do we avoid legalism? Well, this last week, I sat down with my counselor, Mark. 
And he showed me a graph that I was like, my mind was blown because it, it showed me with God's word and it explained to me how identity happens. I want you to put up that graph. I want to show it to you. It's very simple. This is the three-part whole of a man. It's the body, soul, and spirit. You all know that. You all know that the three parts of a man is the body, soul, and spirit. But one of the things my, my counselor said to me is, notice where the spirit is. The spirit's on the inside of the circle. It's at the core. And then you got the soul, and then you got the body. And the world, world will tell you that you have to live on the outside in. That you have to do what your body tells you. If it feels good, do it. And then you can get to your soul, and then you can get to the spirit. But God's desire for man is that we live from the inside out. And it all goes back to our identity being in our spirit. In the spirit is where the identity takes place. In the soul, we... Like in the soul, so that's where your mind, emotion, and will is. That's where your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser are at. In the body, we all know that's where the five senses are. We see that. But we have to learn to distinguish the difference between each one of them. You know why? Because God's word does. Let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, this is one of the verses on the list that I gave you. One of the verses that we'll memorize this week. It says, For the word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between what? The soul and the spirit. The word of God cuts between the soul and the spirit. It distinguishes the difference between the soul and the spirit. Between the joint and the marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. You know what that, that word innermost thoughts? Those are the thoughts that are from the heart. The Bible teaches that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The innermost thoughts, the desires deep down things that you feel. But here's what I learned. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you guys have heard that before, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you know where that rebirth takes place? In your spirit. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins to God. You know what that means? That means that when you don't know Jesus, 
you have a spirit, but essentially it's dead. And when you give your life to Jesus, your spirit is reborn. It comes back to life so that you live for him. Stand to your feet, I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's a lot in this message this morning. There's a lot to respond to. Some of you need to respond based on the need for a rebirth. Some of you need to respond because you need to repent from the way that you've emphasized the law as a priority and not the identity. Some of you need to repent because you haven't hidden your word, God's word in your heart so that you can't sin against God. How is God speaking to you today? We're going to give you an opportunity to respond. A few weeks ago, I started opening the altars front of the stage so that people can come and just give it to God. I just try to get out of the way. Maybe you're here Maybe you're here and you need to just repent. Maybe you're here and you need a rebirth. These altars will be open in a moment when we sing this song. And you can come forward and we'll pray with you. But if you're here and you need a rebirth, you need to revive that spirit that's inside of you. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you raise your hand just to say, Pastor Adam, that's me. I need, I need a rebirth this morning. I need, to, I need to ask Jesus to save me. Is there anybody like that? Anybody at all? Okay, good. In my pocket, I, every once in a while, I'll bring this with me. I've got some oil in my, in my pocket. It's anointing oil. And I know that there are people in this room that need healing. So I'm going to stand at the front. I, I've never done this. I'm new to it. I'm Baptist. But I'm, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to allow you to come and just, I'm just going to pray over you if you need healing. It's not me. It's not me that does it. I'm not the one that offers the healing. 
is Jesus. His identity in Jesus and the reason healed people can heal people is because their identity is in Christ. So we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to be dismissed. And if you feel led to come,